Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to worship at the altar of music and comedy. The giddiness and the harmony of a well-crafted comedy song brings great joy in abundance. Join the tinkling talents of David Timms and me, Phil Nichol. Sit back, turn it up, and enjoy Songs in the Key of Laugh. Yes, it's Songs in the Key of Laugh Series 2 with me, Phil Nichol. And me, David Timms. And we're back. It's a new series. I'm so excited. New guests. Oh, we do have new guests, yeah. It's a new year. It is, yeah. It's a new comedy songs. Yeah, there are new comedy songs, yeah. And a new baby. You've there is a, there you, is a new baby. You've got a new baby. Da- I, I David have, had a baby. I Well, I didn't have the baby. My partner had the baby. Oh, right. Yes, I watched on with admiration. Yes, as you did during the... Uh, no, Phil. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> so uh, welcome back to Series 2, everybody. Thank you so much for, for coming and joining us again. Um, we've got an amazing Series 2 with some amazing guests. Yeah, well, we? let's tell... I mean, for anyone that's just joining us, Songs in the Key of Laugh is a podcast about musical comedy, uh, musical comedians, and all things, all funny musical things, right? That's exactly like, what it's about. And the next series is taking it... We're leveling up, man. We, we are. We are. We have taken, taken on some wonderful comments and uh, great emails that we've been sent about our first series. Thank you. Please keep on sending those into songs in the key of laugh at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we've taken on lots and lots of your comments. And thank you so much for keeping on giving us your feedback. Um, and and we are we're pushing ourselves, aren't we? Phil? We really are. I'm feeling more pushy than ever, David. Oh. Uh, <laughs> in today's episode, on the first uh, episode of the second series, we've got our comedy song contest is kicking off. We've got already got some entries for that which is delightful some really good entries as well and we've scrapped the quick fire parody round haven't we david well we have but but i yeah we have scrapped it but it was a practice wasn't it phil it was a practice it was a practice so we could get up to speed for what is coming now what's happening phil well we're going to write a musical we're we're gonna write a musical over the next 10 episodes dave and i are going to improvise a musical we don't know how we're going to do it yet but we'll come to that later in the show we will and also we have a fantastic interview with one of the funniest men on the planet the wonderful adam Adam buxton I've always liked sci-fi I like robots I wish I was a robot and (laughs) So, Phil, what is funny? <laughs> what, 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 the, the look on your face right now? <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> what do you mean? Well, he just went, what is funny? I don't know. It's, it's philosophically, David. Good, good question. Oh, thanks. Good question. Thanks. I've Nailed been working, it. Working on my questions. <laughs> Nailed that question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, I was having this sort of moment the other day because we I've just sort of um one of my dearest friends uh, has passed away recently and then then that's not funny um but he was a comedy director and he worked with uh, people like Andrew Maxwell and Glenn Wool and Jamali Maddox and Cindy Vini um 
And we often sat around and sort of try to break apart what actually why things are funny or I mean, you can be funny without knowing why you're being funny. And you can also be like purposefully funny. Uh, you also might not find everything I say funny and I'm not or, or you might miss the joke and not find it funny. And it's so subjective. It's really difficult to know why things are funny. But a comedy song. It's, it's a bit different. I mean, I, I, I know what you mean, because um, so, for example, I, I watch uh, we watch a lot of TV, me and my partner, slightly more now with a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, sh- I find it very weird that if there's if there's a bit of slapstick, yeah. um, you know, like the door hits somebody in the face and that person falls over. Doing, yeah. um, she finds it. <laughs> his, that there, that's, that's almost the noise. Uh, she finds it absolutely hilarious. Um, and I, it, it, it's not my, it's it's not not quite my cup of tea. I, you know, I might I might give it a titter, but I'm not going to belly laugh at it. Do you like Looney Tunes cartoons? Absolutely. That's all slapstick, though, isn't it? Well, that's like the yeah, that's it the, is. You know, that's but, Wally Cody getting hit in the head with a big rock. But that's also got that little musical stings of like, meow, meow. Oh, of course it does. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the, the orchestration for cartoons is is insane. <laughs> it's phenomenal. If you've yeah. ever if you've ever got time just to go and look up Tom and Jerry being played live. Yeah. It is so good. If you watch the percussionists as well. Yeah. The, the percussionists are amazing. They, um, uh, any gunshots or anything, they'll be doing those live. They also do the voices. Right. Um, so uh, there's one one episode where um, uh, one of the percussionists is uh, popping bubble wrap. Mm-hmm. But that bubble wrap is actually the sound of a fire. And it sounds like it's uh, catching Tom's tail on fire. And you go... It's it's really really good. We could play some of it in. That made me think of uh, the famous uh, musician, the famous metal musician, Mike Patton, who was the singer and writer for Faith No More, yeah. has a band called the Phantomas, one of my favorite bands, who do like musical interpretations of autopsies and weird shit like that. But they've got an album called Suspended Animation, which is uses all sound effects along with metal, but it's like cartoon sound effects along with metal, but he's made all the cartoon sound effects. Let's play some here. Metal meets comedy sound effects. I mean, it's it's a must listen album if you like weird. I mean, it's not really comedy music, but I, I mean, it, well, it kind of is. It makes me smile. It's definitely illustrative, and I it's like and it. it going back to the original point. What you find funny, someone else might not find funny. Very true. Uh, um, I mean, uh, have you got have you got a song for us, Phil? Well, but see, the thing is with the songs, songs funny can be either politely funny. Or funny can be ruthlessly funny. Okay, well, I, I, all right, I've got a politely funny song. Well, do that do one know, first. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know? Uh, do you know Flanders and Swan? I do. I do. Okay. I'm actually, my friend Tim Fitzheim does a Flanders and Swan tribute in Edinburgh every year. Uh, perhaps we should have them on the show at some point. I think that sounds like a great idea. Um, so this is a this is a Flanders and Swan tune. Um, uh, it's very politely funny.
A bold hippopotamus was standing one day on the banks of the cool Shalomar. He gazed at the bottom as he perfectly lay by the light of the evening star. Away on the hilltop sat combing her hair a fair hippopotamus. The hippopotamus was no ignoramus and sang her this sweet serenade. Oh, mud, mud, glorious mud. There's nothing quite like it for cooling the blood. Oh, so follow me, follow down to the hollow and there let us wallow in glorious mud. Well, my song is a bit more ruthless than that. I, mean, I, I thought it might be. <laughs> <laughs> that's that. I mean, but the thing is, it doesn't have. Some people like polite humor, and yeah. some people like grotesque humor. Um, I wrote this song. It's. I'll, I'll just do a verse and a chorus of it. it goes like, her lips had been frosted, and her colors had been done. She wore her hair in a chenong, denied it was a bun. She suffered from depression, though she didn't know its causes. She occupied herself with what Fortois and Vichyssoise is. She popped pills for her nerves and drank a Chris Shabley with brunch. She packed a finished vodka to pour in her fruit punch. She had a tendency to get quite lippy. Her name was Tippy. Whoops, I killed the people in my hometown. <laughs> and then it would go on, and I'd sing about all Chester, who's the local child molester, and, and uh, <laughs> just sing about all the people that I hated in my, in my hometown. And, and, how, and then I'd make the audience go, come on, sing it! Like I'm a psychopath. Hmm. And uh, it, it raises a titter. Mud, mud, glorious mud. <laughs> So, David, it's time to enter the comedy song contest. It's a it's, competition. It's not a competition, guys. It's series two and is definitely this time series two all the way through a contest. The comedy and it song is a contest. competition with prize money. There, there's prize money. Uh, if you remember last year, the winners of the inaugural competition contest. Ah, see, it is a competition. It was, uh, it's a contest. <laughs> the Canadian Space Took away the prize money of 200 pounds as the inaugural winners of the Songs in the Key of Laugh comedy song contest. Uh, and their song was Next Door. We've already got some great uh, songs submissions. We do? Uh, already. And this is one of them from the Shed Jam Studios. Uh, this song is called Funky Munch.
That is Funky Munch by Shed Jam Studios. Um, that was by Colin Davis, Paul Davis and Tom Wilmot. Thank you so much for sending it in. My favourite thing about that, uh, in their email that they sent, um, which they sent to songsinthekeyoflove at gmail.com, which is where all of your comedy song submissions should come uh-huh. to. Um, lovely. Uh, they said, uh, it's funky, it's about munch. It's Funky Munch. Um, that, that told us everything we needed to know about the song. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll see how you get on in our competition. Contest. So we've ditched the quickfire parody round. Well, we've, we, we've rested it. We, we, well, you can actually catch it on Patreon if you want to become a patron uh, and join us at patreon.com forward slash songs of key of laugh. Uh, you will hear our guests from the first series playing the quickfire parody game that that uh, we failed at miserably. Yeah, so. so badly, so badly that we thought we could take it to a new level. But some of the celebrities that did it, do it on Patreon do it really well. Yeah, and sometimes I did all right on it. Most of the time I didn't. Stand by bees. Stand by bees. That's, that'll be... I will never live that down. I'll never let that down. No. So we've moved on and we've decided to replace that section with this. David and I have decided to write a musical. Yeah. Um, well, we thought because... Uh, <laughs> Because we thought that the quickfire parody round had gone so well, we thought, why not? Let's push the boat out and we're just going to go for it and we're going to write a musical. Yeah. Now, uh, how are we doing this, Phil? Well, well, I don't know. I I thought what we'd do, David, is if you improvise a chord progression or a little, like, one of your fantastic musical improvisations, I will flick through this dictionary, you can hear here that it is actually a dictionary i've just gone and collected it it's from it's the 80s I'm but gonna, it is a new edition it's a from the, the concise oxford dictionary okay so it doesn't have all of the words but most of them i'm gonna open the dictionary at a random page okay put my finger page. down and this the song is going to be about monsoons 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 well this is it. This is our first song of our new musical, Monsoons. <laughs> Where do we go from here? Sailing across the sea Trying to get somewhere Just David and me What's that in the distance? I see it brewing like a bassoon I can't believe it's coming towards us It's a motherfucking monsoon should turn this boat around. I think that sounds like a great idea. No, why? Why? Because it's a motherfucking monsoon! <laughs> what an amazing start yeah. to an amazing show. We've got two protagonists, David and Phil, and we've got a, a, a really, really good... Um, a storm. A storm. 
Do you like competitions? I like competitions. If you like competitions, then please join our Songs in the Key of Laugh Comedy Song Competition and send in your submission for the competition to songsinthekeyoflaugh at gmail.com. That's songsinthekeyoflaugh at gmail.com. Join our competition. Yes, get your submissions into the song contest. It's a competition. It's a comedy song contest. Now, yes. we come to... I think David's, as David said, our favorite part of the show. It's not actually our favorite part of the episode. My favorite part of the episode was the monsoon song. To me. I really enjoyed that as well. I mean, I really enjoyed doing this interview though, uh, with actually a bit of an idol of mine. Yes. Um, I I've spent hours and hours and hours of my life listening to this man's voice. Billy Idol? N- no. Eric Idol? No. Um, Although I do like them. <laughs> them. Both of them. Um, yes. <laughs> Who is this? Um, this is the amazing Adam, Adam Buxton. Buxton. The guest on today's Sorry. show yes. is someone you might know. You and if you don't, that's your own fault. But you'll know them soon. Buxton. I can't believe it. It's Adam Buxton. Everybody. I know. I'm so Yay. excited. Oh, hello. Dancing Queens come on as well. <laughs> oh, I mean... Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was totally unintentional. Uh, How did that happen? I have oh, you, no idea. Oh, oh, uh, everything was going so well. You, and no, then I want to keep Abba. it like that. I think that's great. I think that's how you want to introduce Adam Buxton <laughs> with Dancing Queen. That's how I think of myself. <laughs> I think that's how a lot of people think of you, actually. Yeah, um, I don't know how to introduce Adam Buxton because really, if you're listening to the podcast, you will know Adam Buxton uh, from his podcast, from Adam and Joe. I mean, the work that you produced over the years is is actually is exceptional. Um, we are here today to talk to you about music specifically. Uh, I I'll be honest with you, Adam. I I know that you write music and jingles and stuff. But I wouldn't put you in the category as a musical comedian. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's I I think that's entirely fair enough. I'm very much an amateur and an outsider, uh, which I don't mind. But um, no, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not musical. I know that um, you talk to your guests about their musical background and I don't have one. I just <laughs> like music and I always enjoyed listening to it. But I was just too lazy ever to actually learn how to play an instrument. And I just assumed that it was something that you had to be very talented to do. And I, I wasn't immediately talented. Like, uh, I, I couldn't just play on a piano and make it sound good. Mm. So I, I just thought, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I won't ever be able to be a musician. But the wonderful thing that happened to me was technology and the digital world and then computers and then garage band and loops and chord <laughs> yes. packs and yes. sound libraries yes. and instruments that have arpeggiators on them and instruments like the Q chord and the Omni chord that you can just press one button and everything is in the same key yes and you can instantly have fun and so that's always been my area I, I mean I would I would argue that you have um, learnt how to use these things in such a way that you've effectively made it your art as well. Your sheer volume of, uh, of, of hysterical um, work that you've managed to produce on, uh, on 
what is it? Apple Loops? Is that what you use mainly? Is it? Uh, it ten- yes, Logic uh, is what I use now. And Logic is basically just a kind of fancy version of GarageBand, yeah. which was the entry level music making software that used to come free with uh, a Macintosh laptop. A Macintosh. I'm Macintosh. <laughs> Well, you know, we were trying to get uh, Wayne Shepherd, if you remember Gary Lestrange yeah, on sure. the show. One, one of the things that um, uh, Wayne always, and Wayne d- didn't play any instruments, and he wrote all this genius music for Gary Lestrange, which is all like electronica and stuff like that, and has then since progressed. And I think he did it all on a PlayStation. And then and he's progressed from that to writing film scores. I mean, it's actually just... So what technology has done is it's actually removed the uh, the need to, to have those skills. I mean, it's nice to have them. David, you obviously... A, a trained musician, but it, it, you don't need to have those if you've got some kind of music in your mind, you're able to express it. I think, um, so technology has played a big part in that for you, obviously. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's wonderfully liberating in a way and it enables you to actually have a go, you know, and, and entertain yourself pretending that you are a musician, but inevitably you reach a point where you're confronted by your limitations and you realise, oh... This is why it's good to do music theory, you know, because you because then you your palette is just so much bigger. For me, if I want to get more ambitious or if I want a new sound, it's a question of downloading another door, D.A.W. or virtual instrument, you know, and fiddling around with presets on uh, synthesizers and things like that. Whereas for my son, for example, who is 17 now and. He taught himself how to play piano with YouTube, but then he also did um, music theory at school. So he listens to some of my stuff. Occasionally I'll play bits of music that I've made um, on a Friday evening after we've had supper. And I'll say, "Okay, what do you guys think of this? A couple of glasses of wine. I'm feeling confident, thinking (laughs) this is going to... This is going to kill. And uh, usually there's an awkward silence after I play whatever I've played them. Um, Last week, it was literally awkward silence. And then my son, Nat, said, yeah, interesting. I was like, oh, no, 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 not interesting. interesting. (laughs) And then he said to me, like, you know, Dad, you just need to you just need to go different places you just need to know some chords and things <laughs> and it was a very valid criticism <laughs> it, would, it would just be it would be wonderful to go to different places so often what happens with me is that uh you know i think some of my most fun songs are probably built on existing pieces of music or library music. That's been a good thing for me. And I know that Bob Mortimer, for example, does the same thing yeah. on Atletico Mints. He'll raid a, a music library and then he'll sing over the top of those things. And that is something I do a fair bit and it's good fun. Yeah, you can get a lot of musical uh, music library stuff on, on YouTube. There's a big library there, isn't there? Uh, yeah. And so it's got... Um, I mean, I'm probably telling you something you know, but I'm saying this more for our listeners. If you sure. you can get in, get involved in it, you can pick any style, length of song, uh, mood, uh, instruments. I mean, it's quite vast, and you could probably you could probably if you knew how to work a sampler, you could probably build your own music and stuff from that. So, knowing how to play an instrument doesn't stop you from from being a musical a musical comedian. Yeah. At the beginning of your career, when you started out, you were on um, what was it uh, Takeover TV. 
Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, but there's, um, during that time, I'm sure I've seen you with a guitar as well. Do you, do you play a guitar yeah. too? I mean, I can play a few chords, but again, that was a thing that uh, I reached a certain point and it, there was one night I remember when I must have been in my uh, mid-30s or something and I got everyone around and I'd, I'd learned how to play guitar so that I could serenade my wife when we got married because as far as she knew, I couldn't play guitar. And then when, when we got married, I thought, okay, I'm going to learn how to play Kooks by David Bowie mm. and I'm going to play it um, at the uh, wedding reception, you know, like when we're having the big dinner and everything and it'll be a lovely surprise and I'll get to show off, look, I can play Kooks and also I'll be indulging my rock star fantasies because I always wanted to play music. You know, I was jealous of people who could. Anyway, I learned to play Kooks, you know, badly, but enough to get through it. And we also sang, me and a couple of friends, uh, I'm Sticking With You by The Velvet Underground. Mm. Then I carried on playing guitar a little bit and thought, oh, yeah, I'm a guitar guy now. Look at me. I'm just <laughs> going to learn how to play music. Here we go. <laughs> Rock star time. <laughs> but I guess I was one of those people who didn't really take it seriously enough, didn't practice every day and just got frustrated that I wasn't really making much progress. And I just thought, Oh, my fingers are too small because I got little monkey hands mm. and I just couldn't make the shapes a lot of the time. And it was just hurting my fingers. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I thought, I just don't understand how people can do this. And I was looking at videos of my favorite musicians. Like I, I, I had met around that time, the musician Robin Hitchcock, yeah. who's a, a brilliant guitar player. But his hands are like big spiders and then he grows incredibly long nails as well, which he always has. So I just thought, oh, I'm not going to be, I'm just not one of those people. And then I had an evening where I invited some pals round. We had a few drinks. Uh, people took it in turns to play guitar. I said, I'm going to play guitar. I just learned how to play It Ain't Easy by, uh, well, the David Bowie version of that song. And um, I'm, I think I murdered it. And I was just squealing and screeching. And I looked around at the people and, and it was one of those moments where you just oh. see the look in people's eyes like, oh, please stop playing this song. <laughs> and, uh, and, it, it, and it chilled me. I don't know if they definitely were thinking that. but No. No, they probably weren't because they're nice people. But um, <laughs> I do want to... I, I recently picked up the guitar again, actually, and I thought about thinking about getting better <laughs> and um, maybe having some more lessons. Also, so many of my friends are musicians, and every now and again they'll come and stay with me, and they'll just... Um, we've got a big barn here, and uh, there's a drum kit in the barn, and so we'll just have a big band jam yeah. and I'll play. What, what I usually do is I'm the roadie. So I'll plug everyone in right. and I might play maracas and, right. you know, I'll make tea and things like that. Yeah. So, and I'll sing backing vocals on bits and pieces. But I gradually, every time we do it, we get a bit more ambitious. Yeah. When I started playing, uh, I, my brother was six years older than me. He took the guitar that was given to me off me, learned how to play it and then better than me and as a young kid I just always felt useless um, so I started playing the bass guitar because it's only one finger and one note and all you have to do is find the root note and then you can kind of fumble your way through it and it's a good way yeah. to actually learn where all the notes on the top four strings are before you go uh, so I, I'd like to apologise to all bassists who are listening to this. Um, <laughs> no, I think bassists, 
bassists know that that's not to that's not to suggest that everyone can be a magnificent bassist. Not everyone's going to suddenly turn into Jacko Pistorius or whatever. But you can make a decent fist of it. So it is a good entry level. It is instrument i understand that you know tina weymouth when she couldn't play anything and she joined talking heads and she played the bass and she didn't know what the hell she was doing but she turned into a great bass player and uh yeah you're right i i I, a friend gave me a bass for my birthday a couple of years ago and i have been playing that sometimes when my pals get together and it is good fun you can get by can't you well the tina weymouth's a perfect example though it became her style simplifying it down to one note like she just would pl- could play it's more about the rhythm of it she could play play one yeah. note mm. over and over and over again make it really really interesting we were talking about jamming we did a an, an interview with um izzy suti um uh, and we, she was talking about the jamming what her part of her process when she was growing but she just loved having this jam where you just you, there's no length of time that a song can go on for you can just keep go- it just keeps going and that's where real the real music happens you yeah know? there's no one watching and you can just make whatever well, noise you want there's no right or wrong exactly and it's therapeutic i mean it really is like it's the older we all get the harder it is to get together especially out here where we are in the countryside everyone's got jobs and children and things like that but i really do do my best to make it happen at least uh, a couple of times a year or something because it is it's instantly therapeutic you just feel lifted you know i mean there's no they, they do music therapy in care homes and things like that you know for a reason because it really gets instant results and uh it's good stuff i'm telling people that music is good i run i run singing for the brain sessions with the alzheimer's society yeah there you go yeah <clears throat> Um, and, uh, yeah, it does. It's, it's, it's so It's sort of magically effective, isn't it? It's like when people's minds get wiped, if they're, if they have, um, you know, uh, Alzheimer's or Park, uh, not Parkinson's, but, you know, uh, dementia or whatever it might be. Mm. The, the last thing to go is their recall for lyrics. And sometimes people can just recall miraculously whole songs. They can't remember their own name, but they can still sing you a song that they used to love. Yeah, I've had many, many times where somebody hasn't spoken for a week and then they've just opened up and just sang. And or uh, occasionally you'll have... uh, I've got somebody in one of my sessions and... um, he will occasionally just start singing in uh, Italian and he's got the beautiful tenor voice and he'll just stand yeah. up and start saying, and you're just like, right, where did that come from? But you just, you just let it, let it go and you just see where it's going to go. Sometimes I have somebody stand up and sing, um, sing in Greek and has everybody, you know, wanting to throw plates around and stuff. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Is it a different part of the brain that mm. holds that memory? I mean, I don't know. I'm asking, why am I asking Adam? <laughs> Adam, do you know? You're the asking Dr. That? Buckles. I'm an expert. <laughs> uh. That just is fascinating though. Is, is it, is it physical muscle memory? It's, it's a different it's part It's the radio the one part of the brain. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. This, uh, podcast is kind of like sort of uh, hoping to celebrate comedy songs we find it's an ongoing theme that they're kind of disparaged by comedians and things but then you look at all of the great shows and Vivek and Bob do great music and do you, do you are you a fan of musical comedy songs do you like do you yeah how, how I love you, them how do you feel about, how do you feel about um I don't know uh Weird Al Yankovic <laughs> yeah like good that? Happy, yeah. happy with Weird Al. Yeah. Um, although I was never, I mean, I'm aware that he's a bigger phenomenon in the States. Uh, and I definitely liked him and I thought it was fun. But it wasn't 
especially sophisticated. It's like, oh, he's changed beat it to eat it. And now he's just listing food. And um, <laughs> that was that was my initial reaction to it. You know what I mean? Like, I can see now that I was missing a lot of the uh, nuances in Weird Al's material. Yeah, I wonder, because I've, I've always wondered, I don't mean, I didn't mean to pick him out specifically. I was just yeah. sort of using it as a jump off point. But, but you know... It, he's he he's obviously aware of the irony of him doing it. Like so, if if um, if Vic and Bob were to do something similar, the way that they pitch it, would you'd know that they knew how bad the that how bad it was. Yeah. By just coming up with eat it, that's quite that's obviously the, that's a route one first thing you'd think of, and then you just try and fill it out. That's almost why it's funny that you'd waste that amount of time trying to come up with that parody. He's just got the gift of being able to exist in the mainstream and connect with a huge audience. He's sort of the, I don't know, the Coldplay of the comedy music world, (laughs) Weird Al. Whereas I think I've always been more naturally drawn to people on the fringes a little bit more, weirdos, people who are more weird than Weird Al. Yes. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, I I liked Monty Python because there was something there that was more adult and that I didn't really understand. And that was more exciting and attractive to me. And I remember hearing the Lumberjack song and just thinking, well, I don't understand why this is funny, really. <laughs> and all the, like, there was a little bit of, it, like, the joke was partly that he was effeminate and the rest of these men were very manly. And that didn't really register. I I didn't know what was funny about that, but it, just intrinsically i could sense that there was something funny going on here and it was it was out it was above my um kiddie mental pay grade you've mentioned the lumberjack song a bit is there a particular comedy song that uh you would you would say was one of one of your favorites or, or maybe got you into musical comedy yeah i mean i really did find most of them funny uh, I, we used to have the radio on a lot when i was little in the 70s and my mum was a big music fan my dad hated my dad who was quite a bit older than my mum about 15 years older than my mum so and he was away a lot as well but when he was home he didn't want to hear any radio one he would just go over and turn it right off but my mum was into that stuff so uh she would have the radio one we'd listen to a show called junior choice on radio one which at the time in the 70s was hosted by a dj called ed stewpot stewart and this show, I just, I looked it up to, to remind myself, apparently it used to bring in audiences of around 17 million people. Whoa. So this is in the olden days when, yeah. when there, were, there wasn't so much choice. So everyone just had to listen to Ed Stewpot Stewart, but it was good. And he used to play, as well as playing slightly more modern stuff and pop stuff, he used to play stuff that had done the rounds since the 50s and 60s, including... Hello, Mudder, Hello, Fodder by Hello, Alan Mother. Sherman. Hello, Fodder. Yeah. Here, yes. Here I yeah. am in yeah. Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. And it's this, <laughs> for those who haven't heard it, this is 1963. And this guy, Alan Sherman, American actor, singer. And uh, he did this song. And it's to the tune of, I looked it up, 19th century Italian opera composer, Amilcare Poncielli. Uh, 
do, 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 do. So he sings this song in the form of a letter to his mum and dad complaining about how awful this summer camp is that he's been sent to. And it, everything about it made me laugh. Like some yeah. of the stuff was going over my head, but I also liked it because my mum liked it. And um, yes. so that is always a valuable entry point. You know, if I, I loved my mum and, and it's like, mum likes this, so oh, yeah, I like this too. Uh, but it was really funny. I liked the accent, liked the tune, and then... But the structure of the thing is great. So each verse is about some terrible thing that's going on in Camp Granada. Like one of the lines is, um, uh, the head coach wants no sissies, so he reads to us from something called Ulysses. And it's like, <laughs> that is brilliant. And then, but then by the end, the very last verse, spoiler for Hello Mother, Hello Father, <laughs> Is wait a minute, it stopped hailing. Guys are swimming, guys are sailing, playing baseball. Gee, that's better. Mother, father, kindly disregard this letter. <laughs> and it was like, it's like the perfect song. It's got a, it's got a beginning, middle, and an end, and a narrative, and it's got characters, and it's got jokes in every single uh, couplet. And uh, I just thought, yeah, this is great. So that, for me, that was the template for for the perfect funny song. So what Alan Sherman's done, he's done basically the similar thing that you're doing with um, Garage Band and Loops and stuff. He's actually taken a pre-existing piece and sung lyrics over it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it is a, that that is exactly what he's done. Same concept, basically. It's a useful template, isn't it? Because you, you the, the familiarity with the music immediately does a big part of the work as far yeah. as getting the, the comedy across. So like the audience can relax. They're like, oh yeah, I know this tune. So that's the job done for the actual music. And then you can start communicating your jokes. Um, it's a, it's well, a very useful structure. Flanders and Swan used to do that on a, like massively. So the, um, to the William Tell Overture, they did a right. song about losing, losing their horn. Um, I once had a whim and I had to obey it to buy a French horn in a second-hand shop. Polished it off and I started to play it in spite of the neighbours who begged me to stop. <laughs> and it goes through the whole horn concert. It's really, really wonderful. Um, That's great. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good, good tune. You should have a listen to that. There's one. a Canadian uh, comedian called Brian Hart who wrote with Kids in the Hall who did uh, wrote the lyrics to Popcorn. Oh, I really like popcorn because it's really, really <laughs> yummy. And it makes me... Ta -ta -ta -ta. And then and it, popcorn is yummy. <laughs> and, but the, what's great about it, when he did it live, he would do the entire song. It's about five minutes long. <laughs> it just gets funnier and funnier because he knows he's going to finish this. If it feels <laughs> That's a really good idea. The <laughs> other song I awesome. remember loving was... From the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, this was the radio series that I think came out towards the end of the 70s, Douglas Adams' show, and it was on Radio 4, and it was a very influential adaptation. And the, the character Marvin, the paranoid android, this depressed robot in this funny sci-fi show, was, was my favourite. I've always liked sci-fi, I like robots, I wish I was a robot. <laughs> and Marvin had this song... And they released it in 1981, and I think it even got in the charts, and it was Stephen Moore who did the voice for Marvin on the radio series. And it's a very, very basic, like some guy obviously just knocked it together in a couple of hours with a, with a synthesizer and a very basic drum pattern. 
Um, but I loved it. I think you can still hear it. You can find it on YouTube. And uh, again, just a funny, funny song. Like I found the lyrics and uh, it's all just jokes about being a depressed robot. Um, <laughs> what is it? Uh, I'm so depressed I could expect to rate. My moving parts are in a solid state. I want to rust in peace, switch off and lie in that great junkyard in the sky. And, it, and I just, uh, I, I, yeah, I love that. Very good. Um, so, Adam, I really, really like to ask you, how did you come about working with Joe? Well, we were friends. I met Joe when I got to uh, school in London um, when I was about 12, I think, uh, 1983. No, I guess I must have been about 13. And he was in the same English class as me. He was tall and haughty and... Uh, he ha- he was into the Thompson Twins and Thomas Dolby and that kind of music that I really liked, sort of synthesizer music. Meanwhile, a lot of the other boys, this is an all-boys school, they were all into, you know, Jesus and Mary Chain and, and the Pogues and more serious music, like good music, <laughs> but stuff that was a bit, yeah. a bit too uh, serious and uh, heavy. Uh, me and Joe just liked pop stuff. So we bonded on that and we bonded on films that we enjoyed. We just went to the movies all the time. In fact, the first film that we saw, our first date, was to go and see Monty Python's Meaning of Life, which was an 18. I think the 18 certificate had just come in. Previous to that, it was X's. But um, The Meaning of Life came out. Joe was a film reviewer for Capital Radio. Um, and he was just one of these kind of student film reviewers that they somehow he'd managed to wangle his way into being a film reviewer, and he got all these free tickets. And he said, do you want to go and see The Meaning of Life? I was like, but it's 18. We're not allowed to see that. We're 13. <laughs> he said, no, it's cool, man. I can, I can get us in. We'll be fine. So we went to see that, which was hugely exciting. And again, brilliant music. I loved mm-hmm. all those songs. That's got the the, the galaxy song um, yeah. in there, and uh, every sperm is every sacred. Sperm is sacred. Uh, Christmas in heaven at the end, and uh, so good. I just I think I loved those songs more than a lot of the actual sketches, which I found fairly alarming. <laughs> I think <laughs> at that point. So we were friends from from an early age, really, and we always just bonded over this stuff and dreamed of making our own films. We always wanted to make films and we made a couple of Super 8 films while, while we were at school. Um, and then when we got out of school, we stayed friends and um, we were always filming sketches on, on a video camera that my dad got hold of and let me borrow. And uh, eventually some of those sketches ended up on the show you mentioned, Takeover TV, which was this Channel 4 public access type show back in the mid 90s. Uh, So, yeah, that's me and Joe got some stuff on there. And then we ended up circuitously getting a TV show out of it. Amazing. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the character Louise. Oh, Um, God, yeah. (laughs) Is that is that something we can? (laughs) What is Louise? 
What uh, is, I mean, I don't know how else to enter into that conversation. Can you explain Louise to us? Louise was like a, a super fan, mega fan, mm. um, who is just... So it was an aspect of myself, I suppose, and uh, just a bit of a, a bit loserish, basically, or a train spotter. That's what it would have train been, spotter, train yeah. spotter. Mm. If you were so into something then you were like a train spotter. And Louise was a train spotter, like one of those guys you see, you still see them, actual train spotters, on um, platforms now and again. And they are really into what they're doing. They take it a bit seriously. But you know what I mean? That level of fan, deep, deep level uh, appreciation of something. And I felt like I was, I had many of those aspects to my own personality. Um, a kind of awkwardness, but real deep love of certain things, you know, Bowie and uh, Star Wars a little bit. Um, so Louise was kind of a bit like that. And I don't know why. I think Louise, I just thought it was funny to have a, a name that wasn't an obvious bloke name, just to, <laughs> to mix it up a little bit. And... Um, and she sort of talked, or he talked like that a little bit. It was just kind of a nerdy voice, really. I yeah. thought just a sort of train spottery voice. And I did a song about Star Trek: The Next Generation um, in, with that character because I absolutely loved that show, and I had I was full on train spotter with Star Trek: Next Generation. Um, so I sang a song about how much I loved the show and how angry I was that it had finished and how I was going to find the people responsible and punish them. Um, And I tried to, uh, I'd sent them threatening letters, but the police had come and um, got involved. Um, And my favourite character was uh, Jean-Luc Picard is fair but hard. He has to be because he's in... No, my favourite character was uh, Worf. Because he was um, tough and uh, could stand up for himself. But it was all from the heart, that song, really. That's what I was thinking. So when, so you, I wanted to know if you, you are actually a Star Trek fan. Like, where does Louise, where does Adam end and Louise start? That's really the... Mm, that's the big question, of course. <laughs> I don't know. As I say, that's, a, that's kind of a deep part of me is that, like, I did a... I did a live show early on when I was still trying to figure out if if I should be doing live shows I always felt like oh you know everyone all the comedians I meet they've all paid their dues and they've done live stand-up shows and um, learned how to do comedy that way and I never had me and Joe had always just made videos and we'd always we'd never done any live stuff so I felt like oh I should I should uh, try and do some live shows and one of the earliest ones I did was as Louise in character talking about Star Trek Next Generation. And um, I, I, at the end of the first set that I did, where I sang that song, Star Trek The Next Generation, and then I talked about how much I loved the show, but I sort of, I was talking about it in character, but I was being sincere. And then I started to cry on stage. <laughs> <laughs> because... I, I was suddenly just overwhelmed wow. by... I'm actually feeling emotional just remembering it. <laughs> oh the, the show, the, the Star Trek The Next Generation had ended a few years before that. 
And it was just to show that I got in quite, I got into quite late, having initially thought, oh, that, that looks tragic. Ugh, reboot, <laughs> pathetic. And, and then when the Borg showed up, I was like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, and then yeah. sure enough, got into the whole thing, loved it, thought it was way better than any of the other incarnations. And when it finished, this amazing final episode and the final scene is them all sat to, sat around the uh, card table together playing poker and looking at each other and going, oh, wow, we've had some amazing adventures. And it was so moving. <laughs> I really had an emotional <laughs> thinking about it. Um, and and I, I did this thing in character and started crying and everyone just assumed like, oh, that's, wow, look at him acting. He's good at acting, isn't he? <laughs> But uh, they didn't realise I was I was just basically a sad trade spotter man. Oh, um, I'd I'd love to uh, talk to you a little bit about the Radio Six show. Um, yeah. my brother once said, "Ah, oh, there's this podcast you've got to listen to. It. You've got to listen to it." And so I started listening to to your show. Continually listened and loved it, and it's formed quite a big part of a charity that. I that I started in South Africa. Um, oh, wow. We use we use a lot of the uh, sayings while we're on the building site, including uh-huh. um, our main builder is Stephen. So we will scream Stephen, Stephen! just yeah. coming and and so on and so forth. But we all everybody knows every single word of the jingles. Now these jingles are amazing. Um, what, how, how did you come up with them? Is it, was it just that you needed that you knew that you needed a little section for this? So then you just went, right, I'm going to go and sit down. And did they take you a long time to do? Uh, well, that was the dawn of the garage band age for okay. me. I had just got myself a laptop. It was around, uh, two, 2007, I think is when me and Joe got to six music before then, any music that I'd made had been me singing over the top of existing tracks. One of the first bits of music I did was singing over an instrumental by the Velvet Underground called uh, I Guess I'm Falling in Love or something like that. And um, uh, in fact, that ended up being something that was on takeover TV. And I was always worried that that I would get busted at some point, you know. But this was back in uh, the late 90s when I guess they weren't so strict or it was possible to slip through the cracks with a piece of yeah. music by the Velvet Underground. Notoriously litigious. You know, Lou Reed sued uh, <laughs> Tribe Called Quest for Can I Kick It using um, Walk on the Wild Side, I think. Um, but anyway, somehow I got away with it. But then Garage Band comes along, 2007. It's like, wow, look at this. There's all these jingles here, as well as loops. There were... Um, sort of 60 second, 30 second and 15 second versions of these jingles, about 20 of them that came free with GarageBand. And so I just jumped on it. And this was early days of YouTube as well. So not that many people were using them. You know, now you still hear a lot of those original bits of um, music uh, playing in the background of, of videos that YouTubers upload. But back then, I think I was more or less one of the only people raiding this free sound library. And everyone assumed I was a musical genius, but (laughs) I wasn't. So basically, yeah, I just used to take a lot of those 15 second jingles that came with GarageBand and I would sing over them. If you have GarageBand and you go through the jingles, you'll hear pretty much every single 
Adam and Joe six music uh, jingle bed. And what about the one the the the, um, the Nintendo play out in in your podcast play- now? Um, at, at at the end of it, there's um, yeah, it's an old Nintendo game. It used to be in the I think for about the first fifteen episodes okay. or something. Right. It was the theme from, or it was a bit of in music from a game called Wario's Woods, and uh, every time. Me and Joe used to fly to Los Angeles, which we would once a year or something to do bits and pieces for our TV show. We'd go on Virgin Atlantic and they had uh, Wario's Woods as one of the video games that was an option to play on the entertainment system. And I just loved this bit of music. And so I had a mini disc with me one time. And so I plugged the mini disc into the armrest with a cable and I recorded this Wario's Woods music because to this day, I can't track it down. I've looked for it on YouTube. Uh, I, I've bought the soundtrack to Wario's Woods. It's not on there, this bit of music wow. that I'm using. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. It's probably It's amazing something's... that you had the wherewithal to record it there and then. I mean, that you were that excited. Did you record a lot of things like that? Were yeah. You picking up, were yeah. you picking up little musical treats all the way along with your mini disc? Yes, with a mini disc or with anything else. I was a big home taper. I wanted right. always just to accumulate and archive everything. If I heard something, I taped a lot of stuff off the radio. I used to make tape compilations a, a lot for my friends. And I was always looking for fun bits of weirdness that you could stick on the tape compilation that they wouldn't find anywhere else, you know. Right. Especially at the end. If you've got a... If you've got a sort of 90 second bit of uh, tape to fill at the end and it's not long enough for a song I was always on the lookout for either very short songs or just weird bits of commercial music or anything like that so yeah I was always taping that stuff and uh, Wario's Woods I always thought oh one day I'm going to do something with this and then when I started doing the podcast I kind of thought to myself well I'll probably get away with using this. Like, no one's going to come after me because who's going to know, really? No one's going to really listen. And um, But then after a while, I thought maybe I shouldn't. When You know, like when I started getting sponsors and things like that, mm-hmm. when I was on Acast, I thought, okay, I better, I better take this a bit more seriously and not use other people's music. I really, really enjoy your podcast. Um, Thanks. The... The last episode that I listened to was one where you had you and Joe back together, um, and it was it was it was just like like the old days. It was really really wonderful to listen to. I've oh good, thanks. So man. many so many hours. I've really really enjoyed it. So thank you for that. Well, um, I'm delighted. I mean, Adam, we can't thank you enough for um, spending a little bit of time with us. We ask all all of our guests to sing a little song or do a little performance our little performance, do a performance for us to uh, finish the, off the interview section. I just wonder sure. if you had anything that you could uh, chuck at us. Yes, I will. I, I consulted my wife, and she said, <laughs> uh, that's not Borat, by the way, for people not familiar with my stuff. You'll have to listen to my podcast. That's me doing my robot voice from talking to Joe. But um, I said, what should I sing? And uh, she said, oh, you've got to do the counting song. That's her favorite one. So this is a song that started life when I did a sketch show in 2003 for BBC Three called Rush Hour. And I did a series of sketches about being a dad in the car with his young son. 
and trying to educate his son in the ways of great, great music, you know, like uh, playing suicide bootlegs and uh, <laughs> giving him quizzes about who produced what on Transformer by Lou Reed and things like that. And then um, I also had one sketch where mum was in the car and mum didn't want to listen to dad's horrible, depressing indie music. So mum would like stick on the, the kiddie cassette, which is something that happened to me when, when I first, uh, you know, when we first had children I just hated, you know, I had all these fantasies. One of the things I looked forward to most about being a dad was getting them into music that I loved. Mm. And, um, but then it turns out they don't always want to listen to that stuff. Sometimes they just want to listen to the kiddie cassette. And, um, but it used to drive me nuts that these songs were so insipid. I thought like, come on, you know, kids can connect with all sorts of, and in fact, very soon, after we tried the first kiddie cassette, I, I smashed it. And um, <laughs> yeah. first of yeah. all, I hid it and then it got found and then I smashed it and pretended it was an accident. Because they're in, you know, they'll, they'll listen to anything, anything good do, children yeah. are going to connect with. You don't have to play them this fucking insipid shit. That's not the only thing that they can process. No. You know, well, there, like there, John, there Jonathan a... Richmond had, uh, had did a, a children's yeah. album. So, like, first, you know, it's, he's not a comedy songwriter, but it's humorous. Um, there's loads of people that have put out little albums for this very reason, I think, because they know that adults must just go be driven crazy by, you know, the, the Littlest Mermaid over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Even though I do love that Disney, like the good Disney music yeah. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. grew up on. And, and, and that's great. I don't mind hearing that at all. Um, and there was a song like, you know, a lot of comedy songs we used to play in the car. There's a song called Mobile Phone by Kevin Eldon and, oh, and yeah. the cassettes. Yes, um, yeah. That's fantastic. That's on, on YouTube, I think. Anyway, um, I wanted to do a sketch about uh, a dad having to listen to this horrible kiddie music in the car. And so initially I did a song called Accounting Song, which was just a string of numbers. It was just like the, 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 the lyrics were just me saying 21, 1,052 and 89, 16, 15, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it was just numbers, numbers, numbers. It was just a long, long string of numbers. And then uh, in 2012, we did a version, a TV version of a show called Bug, uh, which I still do occasionally, a live show where we show music videos at the BFI South Bank. And, and uh, I do little stupid bits of uh, comedy in between some of the music videos. And we did a TV version. And as part of that, I, I did some songs and we got music video directors to, to make videos for, for some of the songs. And one of them was a reworked version of the counting song. And instead of just doing numbers as the lyrics, I wrote some actual lyrics um, that I thought would be funny as like a dark education, you know, a, a song for kids written by some guy who's just come to the end of his tether. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh so and then and then the video there was a great video made for it by uh, a director called syriac and um his friend uh, sarah brown illustrator which is still on youtube here we go okay let's see if this works <clears throat> do you count i do let's count together Counting, 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 counting things you like. One, two bits of cake, one, two, three wheels upon a trike. 
One, two, three, four dollies. One, two, three, four, five balloons. One, two, three, four, five, six monkeys wearing pantaloons. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven fluffy little cats. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven eight old fashioned hats. Counting is a lot of fun if you are under four. Try again in 30 years, it's not so fun no more. You will find that there's a lot of boring things to count. Count them, count them, count them, you must have the right amount. Calories and speeding points and pennies in your purse. Count your blessings too because it daily gets much worse. Problems, 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 problems piling up on you. They just keep on coming and there's nothing you can do. Relationships and health and sex and God and jobs and sex. There are far more problems than the four-year-old expects. Counting opportunities that got away from you. Regrets and disappointments, don't forget the failures too. Counting all the so-called friends who stab you in the back. There's so many it becomes a problem keeping track. Counting all the ways the world's a giant ball of crap. War and famine all around, but here's a funny app. Counting all the ways that you can change it if you try. But there is too much else to do, then suddenly you die. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Um, Adam Buxton, thank you so much for joining uh, us. On no, thank you so, hey, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Been really, that's, really a, that's Adam Buxton. Thank you. Goodbye. Adios. Farewell. You'll be glad to hear that. We think that your interview went well. But we have other things to get on with now, so you're going to have to go. I'm sure our paths will cross again, but whoever really knows. It's been fun. It's been musical. It's been comical at times. But now we have to leave you, so goodbye. Goodbye. And stop. Well, David, you got to meet one of your heroes. I mean, this podcast really is making my dreams come true. We do have some incredible guests coming up in the future podcast as well. We have People like Izzy Suti and... Uh, Earl Oaken, you know, Jude Pearl, you know. It's uh, that we do have some amazing, amazing guests. So um, please do join us again. But yes, meeting Adam uh, was was just an absolute dream of mine. Yeehaw. If you'd like to hear more from Adam Buxton, why not follow the Adam Buxton podcast? You definitely should. Or you can find him at his website, www.adam-buxton.co.uk. Or check out Ramble Book, his fantastic memoirs. Please do keep on sending in those comedy songs to songs in the key of laugh at gmail.com. If you'd like to support series two of Songs the Key of Laugh, go to patreon.com forward slash songs the key of laugh or coffee.com forward slash songs the key of laugh. Welcome back, guys. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>